Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, everyone? Welcome to There Can Only Be One, the podcast that puts together the all-star best of of your favorite singers, songwriters, and artists. And we've got a fun one for you this week because we're talking about arguably the sound of of the 90s, especially in 1993 when they first popped onto the scene. We're talking Counting Crows, and I'm just realizing now that that first album is 30 years old this year, and now I'm old. But here to join me, going (laughs) down Counting Crows Road from my weekly mixtape, Brian Colburn's back on the show. Brian, welcome back. How you doing, man? I am doing okay. I'm a little bit tired today because last night I took the entire family to see Spirit Box Papa Roach and Shine Down. And we got in a little after 12.30. The kids had off from school today, though. So uh, I didn't uh, have off from school, though. So I'm, I'm running on fumes and caffeine right now. But I'm excited to talk about The Counting Crows tonight because unlike Shine Down and Papa Roach, I got to see them this past summer. However, I did it something I don't do often. I did it alone. There's something to be said about treating yourself out to to a night of doing something that you enjoy and if i remember correctly those seats were damn good those seats were absolutely mind-blowing what happened was my wife took the kids up to the in-laws house for a couple of days and i had work so i had for the first time in very very many years no dog no kids no wife and I got done with work and I was just twiddling my thumbs and I went on to StubHub and I saw a third row stage left tickets and it was $90 all in. And I said, I'm pulling the trigger. I called my wife up, said, I'm driving down to go see the Counting Crows. I got third row tickets for 90 bucks. I'm going to go have a night out and enjoy some live music. And it turns out the guy I bought the tickets from, his friend bailed at the last minute. So him and I sat and talked Counting Crows in between uh, Dashboard Confessional and them. So I got to see two great bands and had a nice conversation with another fellow Counting Crows fan. So it all worked out really well. That sounds like that's a good bill. Counting Crows and Dashboard Confessional, that's a solid bill. 
I did not know much of. I won't. I'll be very honest. I was not going into it a dashboard confessional fan. I was familiar with songs like Screaming Infidelities and and the song they did for the Spider Man soundtrack. But beyond that, I was kind of hit or miss with them. That I really didn't know a lot of their studio albums. I left their live show a fan. They were so amazingly tight with amazing vocal harmonies and the songs when I listen to them on the studio recordings the live energy really shines so they are definitely a band that if you're on the fence about go see them live and then make your decision you have to love when you you go see a band and the opening acts like all of a sudden open your eyes and go I need to deep dive I absolutely need to deep dive that's exactly right Never, ever, ever miss the opening band. Guaranteed, you're probably going to be in for a good time. But we got a good time for you lined up here because we are about to talk about Counting Crows. Here's what we're going to do. We are about to go through eight of Counting Crows' studio discography. Now, we are skipping live albums and best of compilations. That means we're skipping films about ghosts, even though... It does have some, you know, previously unreleased tracks and some songs that were soundtrack only songs, but for the most part, it's a best of, so we're going to skip that one. We also do have some shout outs uh, throughout the show as well from people who've chimed in on various social media platforms. By the way, you can find us on social media at only one cast, or you can go to our website at notthatbadcast.com and we'll let you know which bands we're preparing to talk about. But specifically, Gene Hickey and Tim McKay chimed in with their full list. So thank you to both of you for, you know, putting in the work and getting your songs together. Uh, You guys will be shouted out through the entire show. So thank you for that. And we're going to start 30 years ago, September 14th, 1993, in the release of the album that pretty much was 1993, August and everything after. The band at this point is Steve Bowman on drums, David Bryson on guitars, Adam Duritz on vocals, Charlie Gillingham on piano and organ, and Matt Milley on bass. This album only reached number one in one country right here in Canada. It is seven times platinum in the U.S. and Canada and platinum in Australia, New Zealand, and the U.K. There were four singles off of this one. The highest charting in the U.S. was Mr. Jones. That hit number two on the U.S. mainstream rock charts and the U.S. alternative charts. However, it did hit number one here in Canada. And I can say... I probably have at least a cassette and a CD copy in those sales because I used to DJ dances around that time. And I guarantee you, I played Mr. Jones a lot. This album also was nominated for a number of awards at the 1995 American Music Awards. It was nominated for favorite pop rock album. It lost to the Lion King soundtrack. They were nominated for fave pop rock new artist. They lost to Ace of Bass, but they did win favorite alternative artist at the 1995 grammys round here was nominated for best rock vocal performance by a duo or group they lost to crazy by aerosmith and they were nominated for best new artists they lost to cheryl crow 
at the MTV VMAs. Mr. Jones won for Best New Artist in the Video. And at the 1995 Junos, and for anyone listening to the States, that's like Canadian Grammys, the album was nominated <laughs> for Best Selling Album, Foreign or Domestic. And in the most Canadian of things ever, they lost to The Color of My Love by Celine Dion. And we're still apologizing for Celine Dion. <laughs> Gene Hickey went with Perfect Blue Buildings, and Tim McKay went with Sullivan Street. So, Brian, your first pick, August and Everything After. Well, with this one, I had a hard time. I had to narrow it down between a couple of songs to choose from. And those songs were Round Here, Omaha, Mr. Jones, Perfect Blue Buildings, Anna Begins, Time and Time Again, Rain King, Sullivan Street, Ghost Train, Raining in Baltimore, and A Murder of One. Yeah, I love this album so, so much. This is easily one of my favorite albums of the 90s, probably one of my favorite albums of all time. So choosing between these songs is truly, truly tough. However, I will give a shout out to Tim McKay as well. I had a chance to do an episode about the Counting Crows with him back in the Playlist Wars days. And this is a song we talked about on that episode. I am a huge fan of it as well. So I am going with Sullivan Street. It is a beautiful, beautiful ballad. The lyrics are so poignant and so powerful. Lyrically, this might be the best album of the 90s, in my opinion. But musically, there's just so much going on. It's such an album listen. When you listen to August and Everything After, if I hear the opening guitar to Round Here, I need to hear the ending of A Murder of One. There's really no way for me to jump around, but in the essence and spirit of There Can Only Be One, I will go with Sullivan Street, edging out the other 10 songs ever so slightly. Now, you with Colbert and Company have had a chance to perform some of these songs live. I know Rain King is is definitely on your set list, but going through that album, is it hard to take an album like that where where you love it so much and narrow it down to which songs you're going to do live so you're not just a Counting Crows tribute band at that point? Yeah, we have covered several Counting Crows songs over the years. We've done Rain King both in the studio version, which is the fast, upbeat version, as well as uh, the New Amsterdam live at Heineken Music Hall version or Across the Wire live in New York City, depending on which version you want to choose. The slow acoustic version, which is more like the unplugged style. Uh, The song works both ways, upbeat and as a ballad. Mr. Jones is one of those ones that we've goofed off on a couple of times because it just is, you know, it's fun and easy to play and everybody loves it. And then we also dive into songs outside of August and everything after Along December and Mrs. Potter's Lullaby as well. I mean, I could honestly do an entire set of Counting Crows and be absolutely thrilled with it. So in that regard, it's more based on who the audience is and ranking seems to be the perfect song for the outdoor acoustic group that we are. I, I I can't disagree with the, the toughness of this choice because this cassette and then CD, because I wore out the cassette, um, got a lot of play because it, it was a mood in 1993. Like, you know, a lot of the albums that were coming out, they had a lot of good hard hitting songs and whatnot, but this whole album 
was a mood. And, you know, I remember what this, this is the kind of album where the headphones are on, the eyes are closed, you're in your comfy chair and you tune out the world for, you know, that, for that hour of time round here raining in Baltimore time and time again, like so, so tough, but I'm narrowing this down and really you could have picked any song off of this, but for me, it's gotta be Anna begins. It, nice. it, it's tough. It's really tough to narrow it down, but there were certain songs when I was DJing and yes, you had to play Mr. Jones cause everyone wanted to dance to it at the time, but there were certain songs off this where it's like, okay, I need a ballad couples want to dance and Anna Begins was always the one that I would lean towards picking a it's a decent length people want to dance it's all good but b I found it to be of the songs that the people would know at, you know at those dances it was the song that I connected to the most just because I musically I it, it hooked me I loved at the time listening to some of the slower songs that were out there not necessarily power ballads but definitely more of the dialed back between this and Seven Mary Three's Rock Crown album those two albums were both like just very chill mellow within yourself kind of moods yeah this is definitely one of those albums that I have at least, let me see, Perfect Blue Buildings, Anna Begins, Time and Time Again, and Sullivan Street I have on my mellow playlist. If I just want to kind of have a vibe going where it's just chilled out music, kind of lights low, just kind of unwinding, those are the four I would pull for that. We now move on to October 14th, 1996 in the release of Recovering the Satellites. We have a member change in here and a member addition. Ben Mize is now on drums and Dan Vickery has been added as another guitarist. The album did hit number one in the US. It is double platinum in the US and Canada and gold in Australia, New Zealand and the UK. There were three singles off of this one. Angels of the Silences was the highest charting in the States. It hit number four on mainstream rock charts and a long December hit number one, in Canada. Long December was also nominated for the MTV VMA Best Group Video that year. They lost to Don't Speak by No Doubt and can't really blame them on that one. Don't Speak was a monster hit. Gene Hickey went with Have You Seen Me Lately and Tim McKay picked a Long December. I think I know what you're going to pick off of this one, but I, I, I want to hear now. What did you go with? This is another tough choice. I mean, honestly, all of these are tough choices because I truly think Counting Crows are one of the definitive 90s album bands where they're not just putting out a collection of songs on a record. They're actually putting together a record that's sequenced with something in mind, and we'll talk about that throughout the episode tonight. But to me, this album represents some changes in direction and pacing from August and everything after. And there are some amazing songs on here. I mean, off the top of my head, my short list for this was Catapult, Angels of the Silences, Goodnight Elizabeth, and A Long December. And at the end of the day, I'm a hard rock guy at heart, and Angels of the Silences is their heaviest song, probably across their entire catalog. And I think coming out with that as the lead single was a very gutsy move on their part, especially because people were expecting to hear Mr. Jones Part 2. 
and The Ring King Part 2. And instead, they got something that was much more aligned with the angst and 90s rock vibe of other bands. There's almost this punk-esque beauty to this song. And it's one that I've never seen them perform live. And I don't know if I ever will because I don't know how often they play it, but it's such a fantastic song. I nailed it. I figured it out. <laughs> and we match on this one because Angels of the Silences is the song that I went with. You're you're right. This song is such a, a jolt to the system after August and everything after. And it's funny too because... Using the Seven Mary Three analogy that, that I used on the last album, there, you know, that first album, you know, with Cumbersome and Water's Edge and like a lot of hard hitting songs, and then to like basically downshift into Rock Crown. And you saw some bands do that. Candlebox did the same thing too. You know, the, the first yep. album was big, and then Lucy had some more dialed back kind of stuff, even though it was a little bit harsher than than some. At that point, it was still has a, a bit more of a mellower vibe. This one, it's like they drank the Red Bull and started to write the songs again. Angels of the Silences, if I were to ever, ever start a Counting Crows tribute band, A, that would be fun. Uh, yeah. But this would be the song that I would probably play second. I don't know if you could start a set because all of a sudden people were like, oh, what are we in for? Um I bought it started with Catapult because Catapult is a great song. Um, that'd be a great one-two punch. But Angels of the Silences would definitely have to be on the set list. It's so good. And it's a perfect one-two punch for recovering the satellites as well. Like, again, sequencing. They, they put thought into this. Yes, it was the lead single, which was jarring to people. But they knew well enough that Catapult was kind of the buffer between August and everything after and Angels of the Silences. And it really helps make that transition smooth. So if you were to listen to the entire discography from 1993 to 2021, it still all makes sense. We now move on to This Desert Life, released November 1st, 1999. We have another member edition at this point, David Immergluck is now playing bass, mandolin, guitar, and pedal steel. The album hit number eight in the U.S. and number seven in Canada, platinum in both of those countries, and gold in the U.K. There were three singles off of this one. Hanging Around hit number 28 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number three in Canada. Apparently Canadians, we, we, we like counting gross. And Mrs. Potter's Lullaby hit number three on the Adult Alternative Airplay charts. Tim McKay. Gene Hickey and Barbara Edelman over on Spedable all went with Mrs. Potter's lullaby. So do you join with the social media pick? Well, I first want to talk about the album before I answer that question, because hanging around amazing tune. And this past summer, they did it with dashboard confessional on stage with them. So it was a lot of fun. It got everybody up and going during the encore. They did a dashboard song into hanging around and it was just a really fun moment with both bands on stage. Colorblind is a beautiful, beautiful song. They ended up playing that as well. Uh, that was in the cruel intentions movie. If I'm not mistaken, it was used really well in that. Um, St. Robinson and his Cadillac dream, Another great song. Amy hit the atmosphere. I mean, this album's full of it, but seven minutes and 46 seconds of musical perfection is Mrs. Potter's Lullaby. I mean, lyrically, 
this is where I fell in love with the Counting Crows. Lyrics like, if dreams are like movies, then memories are films about ghosts. You know that greatest hits compilation you talked about? That's where the title came from, the line in this song. The fact that this song is not on that greatest hits compilation is a crime against musical humanity, and I'm still angry about it, but I'll I'll, I'll let that go for now. And then, you could see a million miles tonight, but you can't get very far. Just... It's so poetic. It's so much fun to play. I love doing this song with Chris, my keyboard player, because we kind of hit those harmonies together. And it's one of those songs when we're just doing a duo show and we have to fill four hours. This cuts out eight minutes and change because we could jam it out a little bit. And it's a fun song to play and people know it. And it takes some time off the clock, so to speak, for a four-hour marathon gig. But honestly, the song's perfect. I can't say anything else about it and everybody picked it correctly as far as I'm concerned oh you had to put it like that didn't you <laughs> I was setting you up there yeah <laughs> yeah because three people off social media picked that song you picked that song I'm not picking that song oh but I think you'll agree with the song I picked with now I have to flash back to your show, my weekly mixtape, uh, and episode 21, the great songs from bad movies playlist. And this is a song that I kind of wish we had the, the, the space to put it in there because Cruel Intentions has a 54% tomatometer. So this movie would have qualified based on our, you know, 60% and under scale. The Cruel Intentions soundtrack, and this is kind of where I heard Colorblind for the first time. It was such a mood, and there were some some really, really great artists on there. You think about uh, Placebo's uh, Every You, Every Me, Skunk and Nancy was secretly. that That soundtrack was so, so good. But this song on that soundtrack stood out. And this is the kind of song that I would love to see. And I, I realize that we spent a lot of our Candlebox episode uh, begging and pleading Kevin Martin to somehow find a way to do a, a Candlebox show with a live uh, full orchestra. But if Counting Crows wants to take that idea and you you know turn Colorblind into a live with a full orchestra performance, that would be so powerful. Again, I, I think this is one of their more sink you into the chair mellow songs and it it hits like if you're not in a a happy mood this song may not be the song for you but i think musically mood wise and vocally that everything on this song it, it it's beautifully painful it really is and seeing it live when that opening piano starts the hair on your arms just stand up it's so simplistic in the piano part it's not a piano part that you sit there I'm not a piano player I'm a bass player but it's one of those songs where if you sat down on a piano and just kind of you could probably as a musician figure out the notes it's not a complicated piano thing but it's so emotive and so powerful in its simplicity because it makes you focus on the lyrics and the lyrics are very deep and cutting. So it's a gorgeous, beautiful, haunting ballad. I just personally couldn't put it above 
Mrs. Potter's Lullaby because of how much that song means to me musically and lyrically. You could almost picture as you're listening to this a, a piano in a dusty, run-down cabin where the you, the, the the paint and the the, the, the weather stripping or whatever are peeling off of the wall and there's dust particles in the air as the sunlight comes in from, uh, you know, that's the kind of image you get in your head when you hear this song. And it is so powerful. I, I think it's more haunting than, than anything on August and everything after that, that doesn't make it better. It's just different and more on the haunting side of things. Exactly. A hundred percent agree. We now move into the 2000s with Hard Candy released July 8th, 2002. The album hit number five in the U.S. and number four in Ireland. It is gold in the U.S. and Australia, New Zealand, and the U.K. There were four singles off of this one. American Girls hit number one on the Adult Alternative Charts. And Big Yellow Taxi, uh, their duet with Vanessa Carlton, hit number two on the Adult Alternative Charts and number 42 on the Billboard Hot 100. Tim McKay picked If I Could Give All My Love to You, Richard Manuel is Dead, and Gene Hickey went with Holiday in Spain. So off of Hard Candy, first of all, what do you think? And B, what have you got? What do I think? It's another amazing album. When I saw them this summer, they did Holiday in Spain, Miami, Butterfly in Reverse, which was co-written with Ryan Adams. Um, and I made sure to say the er, so it didn't think Brian Adams up, up there. You might automatically default to that, but the R version of that. Um, it's an amazing album. I, I love this album. I'm not as massive of a fan of Big Yellow Taxi because that song suffered from overplay in the New York radio markets. Every station from Top 40 to adult AOR like it was every time I would turn it it would just be take paradise paradise put up a parking lot it's like oh my god I couldn't escape it it was almost becoming scary how much that song was out there so for me I actually again Tim McKay lockstep man if I can give all my love Richard Manuel is dead I love that song I love that opening guitar riff I'm a big jam band guy and the band Mo has a song that came out about seven or eight months later because you had mentioned Counting Crows came out in July of 2002 Mo's album Wormwood came out in February of 2003 and they have a song called Okay All Right and I'll be damned if that opening riff isn't just similar enough where you would think, did these guys share a bill because, or did they like sitting around together jamming and they're like, okay, let's each take this riff and do something with it because it's not exactly the same, but the vibe is there. And for some reason, I just love listening to these two songs back to back. But for me, I'm going to go with If I Can Give All My Love or Richard Manuel is Dead. I wouldn't be surprised because you have to think that when bands are on the road, you know, they're listening to other albums and, you know, obviously you're going to be inspired and whatnot. And this is where we get to the point where some of these albums, I'm not going to lie. And it's probably because radio only plays certain songs. And yes, I've heard, you know, <laughs> I've heard that that taxi song way too many times because, yes, I have Sirius and every now and then. Mm, bop, 
pop, pop. And it's like, okay, nope, skip, because I've heard it <laughs> way, way too many times. I completely agree. But for the most part, from here on in, a lot of these songs were new for me. So it was, it was actually a, a fun research session in going through these albums. I'm not going to lie. Miami was on my short list, but good time. This has got a good, sexy groove. Some This has got some nice, dirty guitar to it. And I, I think it surprised me with kind of how sexy this song got. Yeah, that's not something they do very often. But Adam definitely explores it lyrically sometimes, where the music might not fit the vibe. But he definitely puts all of it together in, in this version. Yeah, by all means. We've gotten to the halfway point. So before we continue on, Brian, I wanted to give you the space and let our listeners know more about my weekly mixtape. Well, my weekly mixtape is a podcast where, as I say in the tagline, we take the classic mixtape approach to building a modern playlist. And what that means is the love of mixtapes when we were growing up, spending hours plotting out how the tapes would unfold and then scrambling at the end of the side when you didn't have enough space and you sometimes would have to rewind back and put a different song there so you can have enough space to fit two songs at the end of the side. You really had to work to make a mixtape work for you and for other people. You had to put the time in. You had to listen to songs in real time, record them in real time. So it became pieces of art. And the problem with playlists now, as convenient as they are, I use them all the time. I still, for the most part, listen to my playlists from track one to the end. I try not to make these playlists that have 5,000 songs. I do have some on my phone. If I just need background music and I want to kind of hear like Brian Colburn radio, not my music, but other people's, I will just go to one of these massive playlists and hit shuffle because I know I like all the songs on it. But when I make a playlist for a road trip and I know the road trip is five hours long, I am going to make a five-hour playlist of songs in an order that is kind of what I'm in the mood to hear them in. And I try to use that same approach. And the one thing we used to do a lot with my friends and I, we would get together and bring our music collections back and forth to each other's houses where we would have like our 30 cassettes in the little zip-up cassette holder. And we'd each bring a blank tape and we would make mixed tapes, kind of bumming off some of the songs off of their tapes that we didn't have and vice versa and kind of making these co-curated mixtapes. And it's that type of hanging out with your friends and listening to music and talking about why you enjoy the songs is the vibe that I'm trying to bring to my weekly mixtape. And yes, the word mixtape is meant to be nostalgic, but the concept is meant to be modern putting some thought into making playlists that have a theme, that have a, 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 a meaning to them. Because people tend to discount music a lot in modern times. People quickly forget about songs. 
because you're just so bombarded on Spotify and on all these different streaming platforms with just more music than you can ever digest. And the goal that I'm trying to do with the show is to try to put thought back into why you like the songs you do, why you're including them where you are, and to kind of put that thought process into enjoying music again. Because the more thought you put into it, the more personalized you make your playlists, the more fun they are to listen to. And that's kind of the vibe I'm trying to bring to the show. And I will say, too, in listening to a lot of the episodes and then going to the website and checking out the songs that you have you know, listed in the playlist there, there's a lot of discovery there because, of course, people are going to be bringing the songs that mean something to them. So you have that discovery aspect to it. And it's not always going to be the single. It's not always going to be the biggest song from that band. And you discover a lot more music that way. And it's a fun show. And, you know, as as someone who has listened to the show a number of times and, you know, occasionally been on it as well, when you're listening to the show, you find yourself not necessarily screaming at the radio. There have been times, but, (laughs) but, but, but looking at the radio, trying to play along with it. So it's a fun podcast if you have not had a chance to listen to it. But let's get back to this. Saturday nights and Sunday mornings. Maybe this is when you're listening to it. The next album from Counting Crows released March 24th, 2008. We have a member change at this point. Jim Borges is on drums and Millard Powers is on bass. The album hit number three in the U.S. There were four singles off of this one. You Can't Count on Me and Come Around both hit number one on the Adult Alternative Airplay charts. Tim McKay went with You Can't Count on Me, and Gene Hickey went with Baby, I'm a Big Star Now. So off of this one, what have you got? Wow. I First, I want to give uh, credit because Baby, I'm a Big Star Now was only like a bonus track uh, on the UK version of that album. So kudos for that pick. I, I love it. Um, for me, this is an interesting album because Side A, if, if you were to actually have it on vinyl was produced by Gil Norton and his Saturday Nights. It's a rock album. Side B was produced by Brian Deck, and it's more of this kind of country-esque Americana vibe. So listening to it on CD, I'll be perfectly honest with you, through the first six songs, I'm sitting there going, wow, these guys are putting out a real rockin' album. And then it was like record scratch between Cowboys and Washington Square. The the album took a, a left turn. And then the second half of it was really mellow. And it was around that point that I'm like, I knew immediately why they named the song, the album Saturday Nights and Sunday Mornings. It made it more powerful that they named it that. Because, again, thought process into putting out an album. They could have very easily just taken these songs, thrown them into a hat, and picked out number and, and sequenced them differently. But the sequencing is what makes this album so special. And for me, this is one where I could go with You Can Count On Me depending on my mood. But today, because of last night, like I talked about at the beginning of the show, seeing Shine Down and Papa Roach and Spirit Box last night, I'm kind of in a rock mood today. So I went with Hanging Tree. Ooh, nice pick. Nice pick. I'm glad you mentioned the country vibe on the, the Sunday mornings part of this. And it's it's been one of those things that as we've been going through, and I've been I was trying to place why Counting Crows was so big in Canada 
arguably chart wise at least arguably bigger in canada than they were in the states as far as hitting those numbers and those number ones and this album and the next one um really solidified it for me aside from you know the first albums being really good there's a blue rodeo vibe on a lot of some of oh, these yeah. albums and if you're canadian you know if you know you know but blue rodeo is one of those bands that was able to find that perfect middle ground between pop and rock and country and folk and put it all together into like a very slick package that that's saying to everybody that was the thing pop people liked blue rodeo rock people liked blue rodeo country people liked blue rodeo like universally loved at least in canada you know if, if you if you haven't had a chance to listen to blue rodeo please go try especially if you like counting crows i think you're gonna find a lot of nice middle ground here but getting to that pick though for from this album i ended up going with cowboys because speaking nice. of middle ground this to me is kind of the middle ground between rain king and angels of the silences they're both you know up tempo but one's definitely a lot harder than the other and i think cowboy kind or cowboys kind of fit right into the middle of that one great if you're biking this would be a great cycling song because it's got a really really good tempo to it 100 percent agree it's definitely a lot different again like when you make that pivot after Cowboys, it's a completely different album. And to be able to pull that off using two different producers, that's why I mentioned their names in the beginning, not just a name drop, but you're literally producing a album that is supposed to be a complete thought. And you're bringing in two different producers to purposely give you two different vibes it was well thought out in advance and executed so perfectly because of that mindset. Again, they weren't thinking, let's just put out a bunch of rock songs because they could have just did two different EPs. But this was a thought process to make this a conflicting album from side A to side B, and it's perfect. We now move on to Underwater Sunshine or what we did on our summer vacation. A covers album, in fact. Uh, the first time they went independent from uh, from the major labels. Released April 10th, 2012. The album picked at number 11 in the U.S. Untitled Love Song, the first song off of the album, hit number 19 on the Adult Alternative Airplay charts. Tim McKay ended up picking Amy, but off of this one, Captain Covers, what have you got? I was just going to say this album, I mean, come on, you're talking covers here. I'll be perfectly honest. My favorite cover from this album, I'm not going to go with because it would screw you up trying to put together the playlist because it was only released as an iTunes bonus track. So I own it because I had to get the bonus track, but... Their cover of Borderline by Madonna is absolutely incredible. It's acoustic, and it's so well done. I really wish they put that on the original album, but because it was an iTunes Store bonus track, I'm kind of like stopping myself. But the song I'm going to go with was also used as a B-side on Hard Candy in other markets, 
So this is another one where I, you, you would think I'm cheating, but in the UK as well as Japan, this was a bonus track back on Hard Candy, but it's not a bonus track on Underwater Sunshine. And I am going with Four White Stallions, originally by the Tender Mercies. This was a song when I first heard it, I just assumed it was a Counting Crows song. I fell in love with it. It's beautiful. It's just a, a gorgeous ballad. And just like Untitled Love Song, which was originally by the Romany Rye, these are not cover songs where you're sitting there going, I know every song on this album, and it's now done by Counting Crows. I knew Amy by Pure Prairie League. Fantastic. I knew Ooh La La originally by Faces. I knew You Ain't Going Nowhere by Bob Dylan and the Birds, but I had no idea about Four White Stallions, and I just fell in love with the song. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like... I listened to the album and then I went and got my my notes for the show and I'm as I'm listening to this because of course borderline wasn't uh, on on Spotify as I was listening to it I didn't really know any of these songs so to me they did they felt like counting crows songs so I got to experience that moment of not knowing and discovery so it was it was fascinating and this another album where you have that blue rodeo kind of feel to it which is great if you're a blue rodeo fan but they had me right at the start with untitled love mm-hmm. song friggin phenomenal great. song had never ever heard of the romani rye beforehand and now i have to go listen to more of that but ooh la la and like teenage gravity also stood out for me off of this one as i was going through the through the album but yeah untitled love song great chorus like it's love the sing-along feel to this one this would be a fun one to play live and that that riff is kind of dirty it's it's a dirty guitar riff and you just feel it and it's got a groove to it and you could tell they again put thought I know I sound like a broken record here but they really put thought into the album not the songs because again you can listen to Underwater Sunshine and not know any of these bands and think this is a Counting Crows record that is putting thought into the cover songs you're choosing. That is putting thought into picking songs that are covers, but aren't by household names. And to me, that was such a unique approach. Because if you just put out cover songs where it's the Counting Crows doing, I don't know, some Leonard Skinner covers and you know just some regular classic rock cover songs because bands put out cover albums and I look at the track list and I'm, I think to myself I've heard these songs done a million times already I don't know if I want to hear XYZ band playing them this album I went out and bought assuming it was a brand new Counting Crows album and it wasn't when I got to Amy by Pure Prairie League I'm like oh they, they put a cover on here and then I started digging into it. And I'm like, huh, they're all covers. Nice. Like, but I didn't know, like I didn't know hospital prior to hearing it by the counting crows. I think it's one of those things where when, when you go into making a covers album there, there's always that, that question of, do we go with what everyone wants to hear? And there's a danger in that. Like, I, I remember there there there's one covers album and there's a song on there that I wish they had never done. 
because it's a really hard song to even think about. And that's Queensryche's Take Cover album. Mm. Never, ever, ever should anyone try to cover Queen's Innuendo. Some songs <laughs> just should not be covered. I love Queen's. You know I love Queensryche. But of course. that's not the song you should try to cover. Of all the songs in Queen's, in Queen's discography, I'm sure you could have picked something else. And it would make sense as to why Queensryche would want to cover it. It's very proggy. There's a lot of texture to that. I could see Dream Theater pulling it off. But maybe not the song to pull off. Here, because those songs are so, for lack of a better term, obscure, at least to me. You know, there's probably someone listening to this show going, you don't know this, you don't know this, you don't know music. Um, No, I probably don't. But (laughs) that's okay. Um, I'm always open to discovering new music, and there's a lot on here that was a lot of fun to discover. Next up, Somewhere Under Wonderland, released September 2nd, 2014. The album hit number six in the U.S. There were three singles off of this one. Scarecrow hit number seven on the Adult Alternative Airplay charts. Gene Hickey went with Scarecrow. Tim McKay went with Palisades Park. You know, thinking of the long songs there. Um, so off of this one, what have you got? This album's actually very special to me. I had a chance. I was at work going back to 2014. I was at my desk, and I was just about to go on my lunch break. I had my hour lunch, and I opened up my phone to see if I had any texts from the missus. And I went on social media for a second as I'm walking down to the cafeteria and I see a handful of tickets being held up by a record store that was about 29 minutes away from my office. And they said, get here in the next hour and we're giving you free tickets to see the Counting Crows at Irving Plaza in New York City, but we're not telling you where we are. I just happened to know exactly where they were because it was one of my favorite music stores here in New Jersey at the time, Vintage Vinyl, which is no longer there anymore. So I literally went from walking down to the cafeteria. I did a kind of a weird little turn in the hallway, kind of power walked to my car, gunned it all the way down to Ford's, grabbed the tickets, and my wife and I got to see the album release show for this album. And this album has a ton of amazing songs on it. Earthquake, Earthquake Driver, God of Ocean Tides, Scarecrow, John Appleseed's Lament. That that one was probably my closest to being number one. But I almost think you might have, you probably could have just replaced me with Tim McKay on this episode <laughs> because I went with Palisades Park. I mean, I'm from New Jersey, eight minute song. It's a love letter to. I don't know. It's not a love letter to New Jersey, but even Adam has been quoted as saying the song is, quote, about the best thing I've written in my life. And it's so visual that they put a short film out for the song on YouTube as a video. And you don't need the video's great, but you don't need it because his lyrics are so descriptive. You can close your eyes and see the video without seeing the video, if that makes sense. It does, and there are times, and you know, we mentioned it when we were talking about colorblind. Um, there are visuals that enter the mind when you listen to a lot of their songs, and somewhere down the road, I would love to see Counting Crows put together not necessarily a concept album, but a concept video based on an album, like almost basically almost write a film 
around the album. A Counting Crows musical, if you will. It'd be fascinating. And I think they have the lyrics and the musical talent to be able to pull off something like that. But when we get to my pick, whew, I did something I don't normally do. I wrote down two songs because I couldn't decide between the two. And I figured in the moment I would sit there and make my pick at that time. You know, the, the, the coin toss, if you will. Sure, sure. And they are two completely different songs from each other. I've got God of Ocean Tides, which is mm-hmm. wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And Cover Up the Sun. Nice which, one. That, that's a bop. It's a bop. I'm not going to lie. And I figured, okay, in the moment, I'm, I'm going to know which song to go with. And this is one of those things where, and you and I talked about this at the beginning of, you know, the creation of this podcast where the the list you make for the show may not be the list that you make, you know, a year down the road because songs hit you differently in different times. So if I'm picking between these two songs today, I'm like, well, what, what am I, what am I feeling today? What, what kind of music am I feeling today? I, I'm going to go with God of Ocean Tides. It nice. is, it kind of fits in that colorblind kind of mood where it, again, sink back into the chair, headphones on. And that's how I used to um, take in my music. This, this was me growing up. We had a very comfortable chair <laughs> sitting right beside the stereo. And, you know, a decent set of headphones plugged into it because, you know, mom was doing something and I had to listen to the music anyway. So I would just put the headphones on, you know, and make sure you had that, that, you know, quarter inch to, uh, to headphone jack adapter because otherwise you were, you were screwed. But I would just sit there for hours, headphones on, eyes closed, listening to music and, you know, whatever it was that my mom had in her collection, you know, as I was growing up, that's that, that to me was that early indoctrination into music discovery. Don't know what this album is. I'm going to listen to it anyways. And certain songs, you just, you would listen to them and then rewind and then hope that you nailed it, but listen to it and rewind or lift the needle and bring it back, depending on if you're listening to vinyl. This is one of those songs where I could see myself skipping back and skipping back and just listening to it over and over again. Yeah, this band has a love for the Grateful Dead. You talked about films about ghosts, the compilation. They do a Grateful Dead cover on there, A Friend of the Devil. To me, God of Ocean Tides is their what if we wrote a Grateful Dead song? And I feel like it works in that mindset. And I know that's probably not what they were thinking going into it, but knowing their love of the dead, I hear it in that song. Now I'm going to have to rethink that song every time I hear it. (laughs) Just ruined it for you. (laughs) Or made it better. It all depends on there. There's sometimes when you sit there and like, you're like, okay, I can, I like the song. Okay. And then someone tells you something. You're like, I have to hear this song and, and experience it almost anew. And I'm kind of down with that. We finally get to our last one. Butter Miracle Sweet One. It's an EP that was released May 21st, 2021. There is, One single off of this album, Elevator Boots, hit number two on the Adult Alternative Airplay charts. Both Tim and Gene went with Elevator Boots. There's only four songs on this album, so you've got a 25% chance that you're going to line up with Tim and Gene. Brian, what did you go with? Here's where I'm going to ask a favor of you. I've been on the show several times, right? I'd say enough. 
enough times that I can ask a favor, right? You you have a plate at the at the table for dinner. <laughs> that, that's right. how many times, and it's it's all good. Just, <laughs> just clean your dishes when you're done. Yes, yes. Can I pull a cheat card for this one? I'm curious. The vinyl record release of Butter Miracle Sweet One, the B-side, is the song, the song, August and Everything After, that was recorded with, we talked about it earlier, a symphony orchestra in London. And it was only put out through Amazon Originals, but somehow they got the permission to put it on the vinyl of Butter Miracle Sweet One. And going back to the first album, this song is part of Counting Crow's lore because he had written the lyrics for it, part of the lyrics, and the lyrics for this song are what you're seeing on the cover of August and Everything After. They then played it one time around 2003 and they never played it again at that point but then people started trading it and it started becoming this folklore for the band and they ended up doing it a couple of times and then the song just kind of went away and in 2018 or 2019 I don't know you know months when they actually went through it Amazon contacted the Counting Crows to do a song with a symphony orchestra and they originally asked them to do a long December and Adam said you know as much as that would be fun I don't think a symphony's really going to bring much more to what we already gave that song however we have this song that a lot of people have always wanted to hear and I think it might benefit from an orchestra and it's 8 minutes and 41 seconds of how the hell did this not end up on the album that it's named after so that is my I will I will also follow up with for the sake of a Spotify playlist, if you really want to fool people that are just going to the website and not tuning in, I will agree with everybody that chose it and go with Elevator Boots as my Spotify song. But for those that listen, that that have listened to this episode, know in my heart, the B-side on the vinyl-only version of August and Everything After is my true pick. I'll, you know, I'll allow it. I'll allow it because I love <laughs> the story behind it. It's brilliant. It's so wild. It's such an amazing tale. And there's a, you know, I'm not the biggest Rolling Stone magazine person, but there's a fantastic article written by uh at written by Andy Green back in January of 2019 that talk about this whole story. You you might want to just throw the link up on on the webpage so people can read this because it it tells the story a hell of a lot better than I could and it it you can go see hear the song on YouTube or on Amazon Music, and the YouTube version shows the symphony in the studio with them recording it. It's a really fun watch. Yeah, no, I'll I'll accept that that cheat code there. That's that is perfectly <laughs> fine on that one. And yes, I am going to put the YouTube link on the webpage at Not That Badcast for the episode page. But my see, I didn't even know that song existed. My mind's blown right now. <laughs> There's four songs off this one. There was the single, and that's the song that, you know, social media picked. Yeah, I didn't go with that one. I ended up going up with Bobby and the Rat Kings. Another good one. 
I had mentioned like that that blue rodeo vibe. This one to me though feels more like a Boomtown Rats kind of feel, and it's almost like very piano bar. And I love the idea like of being able to experience this song in a small intimate piano bar, like just almost like a solo performance. It, it, it speaks to my love of storytelling in songwriting. And that probably comes from that chair and that stereo and that headphones because my mother had a massive Krista Berg collection. So when I tell you that Krista Berg will eventually be an episode on this on this podcast, guaranteed that's probably going to be an episode on this podcast because A, there's a lot of albums, but B, that was my first concert. That was my first indoctrination to music. And those are the first songs that really stuck in my head. A song like Bobby and the Rat Kings kind of fits into that you know, not Patricia the Stripper kind of vibe because, you know, musically it's very different, but in that musical storytelling milieu. But now we get to the hard part. And you knew this was coming, Brian. You Again, you, <laughs> you, you've been on the show a few times. So go through your list of all the songs that you have picked. And if there can only be one Counting Crows song, what's it going to be? All right. Well, from August and everything after, I went with Sullivan Street. From Recovering the Satellites, I went with Angels of the Silences. From This Desert Life, I went with Mrs. Potter's Lullaby. From Hard Candy, I went with If I Could Give All My Love or Richard Manuel is Dead. From Saturday Nights and Sunday Mornings, I went with Hanging Tree. From Underwater Sunshine or What We Did on Our Summer Vacation, I went with Four White Stallions, originally by the Tender Mercies. From Somewhere Under Wonderland, I went with Palisades Park. And from Butter Miracle Sweet One, I went with August and Everything After from the vinyl version, although you might see elevator boots on the playlist. And honestly, Jay, you've known me long enough and we've talked about this episode for a while. We've talked for the last hour here. I'm just going to let you choose my song because I think you already know what my pick is. I think if I if I know you well enough, I think you're probably going to go with Mrs. Potter's Lullaby. A hundred percent. It's easily my. I was going to lead with it, and I took it out of my notes. My first note was easily my favorite Counting Crow song, and quite possibly one of my favorite songs ever. But I knew if I went with that, it would have spoiled the episode. So I I completely removed that and just kind of danced around it a little bit. But here I wanted to make that point very clear. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. All right. So if I'm going through my list here, off of August and everything after, I've got Anna Begins. From Recovering the Satellites, I've got Angels of the Silences. From This Desert Life, I've got Colorblind. From Hard Candy, I went with Good Time. From Saturday Nights and Sunday Mornings, I went with Cowboys. Off of Underwater Sunshine, I went with Untitled Love Song. From Somewhere Under Wonderland, I went with God of Ocean Tides as I flipped the coin. And off of Butter Miracle Sweet One, I went with Bobby and the Rat Kings. But if I could only pick one, and this this is coming down to, again, two songs. It's coming down to Angels of the Silences and Colorblind. And that, that's a hard call because, again, a lot of it depends on the mood. But if I, if I have to, whenever I think Counting Crows, I think Headphones and eyes closed and I'm going to go with colorblind as my only one although it is really hard not to pick angels of the silences 
two amazing songs right there, though. I mean, either one, you can't go wrong with either choice. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there, really, there were, there were no bad choices in any of these songs over eight albums. Brian, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Uh, clean your dishes, by the way, when you're done. Um, <laughs> but before we go, please let our listeners know where they can find My Weekly Mixtape. Sure thing. You can find My Weekly Mixtape at myweeklymixtape.com or by searching My Weekly Mixtape wherever you listen to podcasts. And then if you want to connect with me on social media, most social haunts, you can find me at My Weekly Mixtape. And again, thank you so much. You know you're always welcome back here. I'm sure we will pick, you've got the next band already picked out and ready to go. Now to you, our listeners, you guys know the drill. If there's an artist that you want us to cover, or if you want to chime in on some of those the episodes that we are preparing, you can find us on social media at OnlyOneCast or go to our website at NotThatBadCast.com where you can catch up on all of our other shows. Until next time, listeners, thank you so much. Brian, you're awesome. This is There Can Only Be One I'm Jason. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.